We're live, bro. Yes. Episode What's up, one. Ben? Episode up, one. Man? This is history. History in the making, man. Ham the Handpan Show, episode one. Ooh, la, la, la. Very excited for this. How are you doing today, man? You good? Yeah, I'm doing good. Just did some nice videos for Mag Instruments, actually. Doing some little projects here and there with them. I love the instrument. The nice. team is awesome. What did yeah, you yeah. do today? Right now, just a little little studio recording. Got a couple projects in the cooking right now we're doing we're doing cooking. some recording the, the last couple of days Ooh. uh i'm extremely excited for this man episode one yeah me too honestly we've been talking about that for months, so many months months yeah man. true. but uh but yeah so just a, a quick for for the listener this is uh the handpan show it's basically just f open discussion open talks with people in the handpan world or close next to it uh led by myself and dave uh just having discussions around yeah, these instruments that friends we, we gather throughout the years some people we met uh it's gonna be pretty diverse and uh and excellent i'm eager to start me too yeah. man and, and what a what a first guest we have <laughs> this one oh that man one. I mean, there's like, like this, uh, the world is only, what is it? 2001, the instrument was made. I mean, this guy has yeah. been like top class yeah. guy from the beginning. Yeah, exactly. Um, this kind of guy, he was in the handpan forum. That's it. Handpan.org. That's it. C Folk himself, Colin Folk. C Folk. We have, uh, so yeah, for, for anybody who might not know, Colin uh -huh. is the creator. It's uh, C Folk. He'll, he'll clarify in the later on, but it's. Yeah, like, we need to ask him some clarity yeah, about that. C, C Folk, Radix, Ether, and now Zenith. Zenith. Um, so you've seen him on everything. He's uh, the leading one of the leading faces, anyway, of yeah. the HCU, the fight to keep mm. handpans legal. Um, what do you say, we man? Might have some news about that, actually. I hope so. I would yeah, really hope so. so. Yeah. But uh, I'm ready to bring him on. If you are, you good? Yep. Let's Drum do roll. it, ladies and gentlemen. Colin Folk. All right, here we are. There you go. Episode one. Episode one. The man, the myth, the legend. Our first ever guest. The man who needs no introduction. Mr. Yeah. Colin Folk. Hey, I'll take an introduction. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. We did it. This we did it before story. we talked. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> we gave you a proper one before we uh, before we jumped on here. How are uh, you, man? I'm good. It's early morning here in California. Uh, I imagine it's kind of late evening there for David and in, uh, in France. And what about you, Dan? Yeah, it's 11:40 uh, a.m. So we go. look at us jumping time zones. Wow, it, man. world. That's it. Mathematicians over here at the the handpan oh, show. Uh, yeah, I didn't know it required that kind of skill to set up a podcast. Yeah, so many math. Are. Oh, guys, the, honest, this is his story. It's the first one, man. One. Boom. Yeah, Boom. Dude, yeah. So thanks much. for uh, thanks for having some patience with us, man, and sitting with us. Appreciate it. <laughs> but yeah, uh, my pleasure. It's uh, it's good. It's going to be good to talk. We got a lot to talk about. There's a lot going on in your world, man. Yeah. But oh, yeah. um, before we get into it, man, we want to get to like the the building, your your achievements, everything with HCU. But uh, some people, like at face value, might not like if they just saw the headlines of Colin Folk, they might not realize that you've been around since 2009 playing. Uh, yeah. You've been around for for quite some time. So what was your just like the elevator brief? How did you get into it? What's your your background with handpan stuff? early days 
oh, this is great. I, I have to do this all the time socially. So I do have my like elevator pitch. <laughs> I got into it. Um, it was 2007. YouTube was just kind of starting. It's so funny to tell younger kids this because YouTube is just this like truth to them. And you're like, yeah. it was this amazing thing where I could send a link to a video to my friend on the internet and they could watch it. Like this was just happening. So I, as I'm sure you guys were, we, I, I was doing this with a friend and we were sending videos back of different musical instruments and right. one video linked to another one. <clears throat> and I saw this instrument that I'd never heard of and was just, it was bolt of lightning, just boom, done. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm supposed <laughs> to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that was 2007. And at that time it, it was so hard to find anybody that even had one, especially in the United States mm. at that time, you know, there was mm. some import, not that much. So it took years to even get in the room with one. And at that point it was kind of like this quiet obsession. You know, I was almost a little mm. bashful and ashamed that I was just so enthralled by this thing. I'd never even been in the room with. Um, but then when I got in the room with one and got to play it, it was immediate, like, yep, you were completely right. Trust that instinct. This is what you're supposed to be doing. And then I just kind of never looked back. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, man. And like, <clears throat> it's crazy now there's like this whole new class of players and like young people yeah. that are coming to the instrument. And, uh, you know, looking back on those times, I, I know that you've had, like somebody that I always try to like tell people about, like, like, you know, you got to look at this dude is Dante Bucci. And I know that you had yeah. a nice, nice relationship with Dante. And I was hoping maybe for, you know, people who have never got to spend time with him didn't really know him like what were do you have like a memory that sticks out of him or like a, a nice story about him who who was he to you yeah that's a great question um <clears throat> you know i i i yeah i get i get struck with dante grief every once in a while you know for those who don't yeah. know he kind of passed away unexpectedly um mm. Yeah, so I kind of had like the dream, the dream run with Dante in that I started as just like a diehard fan. And so for people that might not have historical reference, Dante was the premier player mm -hmm. in the United States in the early days. Yeah. He was people, yeah. he was someone who was posting videos on YouTube. Exactly. You'd, you'd click, you'd click and watch a video, and then you'd click and watch his and you'd go, Oh, so yeah. that's how it's supposed to be played, <laughs> right? He was above and beyond everyone at that time. And yeah. then continued and so to progress like that. So creative, especially at that early age of the of the the hung. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, he he was kind of on the bleeding edge of playing and techniques. Um, so I I started kind of just as a total a total fanboy of Dante, and then through some exchanges on handpan.org, it came up. And Dan, this is going to cycle back to you. It came up that Dante had been asked by Spangl to cover for Mono de Lago for the the song that he does on uh on their live show yeah and uh Dante was kind of unsure of which scale Manu had and being just the fanboy that I am I was like I know what <laughs> <it is." laughs> and so I communicated that to Dante and then that kind of started a light rapport between the two of us chatting on the forum and kind of realizing like oh we're we're both kind of like to function on the higher level stuff the scale geekery playing tech um and so kind of what ended up happening is is we kind of ended up being kind of peers i guess we ended up running some workshops together at festivals um in north carolina and so we kind of like ended up on this peer level of playing and kind of how deep our interest was in the the instrument and the genre no and then kind of like the the dream shift was then we just kind of became friends yeah um, and we'd see each other socially at festivals. Uh, he came out and stayed with us for a week out here and did some work in the workshop with me. 
um yeah so he was a great influence um and, and yeah he's he's sorely missed you know I, I think the one thing that always surprised me about dante that he told me is that he only would write one new song a year <laughs> that was his goal that was his goal yeah. but when you go yeah. and you listen to his pieces like flash relay or any of them crazy like, reminiscence reminiscence boom man they're so dense yeah yeah so dense and so full that you're like, yeah, that would take a year to really not only yeah. compose, yeah. but yeah. then to master that piece. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's he's he's one of the dudes that like when when people are talking about, especially like the American scene that, you know, you and I are mm. a part of. It's like, you know, you got to you got to look back a little bit at this guy. Cause oh, if yeah. you want the if you want the the greatest, that's you know, that's him. But yeah, uh, but yeah, dude, thanks for uh, thanks for sharing that with everybody. Hey, hey, guys, and, it takes me it takes me three years for a song, actually. <laughs> I'm this guy who has my last album is like six years old. That's it. You're due, man. You're due for a new one. (laughs) But uh, but yeah, man. And then this, you kind of hit this like monumental shift for from wanted to be or not. You're still like this player. You're still a great player. But from player fan to to player to builder. Uh, So what was that transition like for you? When, When did that start? You know, like if I really look back, there there was always a really a, a super deep curiosity in how these instruments work and yeah. how they function. Yeah. And yeah. in the early days, it was just total mystique. You know, yeah. no one talked about, no one really knew. And then there was a few people that kind of started peeling the layers back. Um, and so, you know, the the first front runners were Kyle Cox of Pantheon Steel, Louis of Bell Art, and and then for sure, Victor of SPB. Um, and Izan? And Izan too, yeah. yeah. So Izan, Izan yeah. there was kind of like the first wave of, of, yeah. makers. of new makers outside of Pan Art. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was kind of this second wave, which were players turned tuners turned makers. And so I, I kind of put myself in that second wave. And what I think happened is that first wave showed it was possible. Um, but a lot of them came from a previous background of crafting steel pans. And so someone like Izan or Victor, they were the first ones who like, who weren't that they weren't steel pan train, um, makers. They were just people and guys who were yeah. enthusiastic and fans first, yeah. fans first. Yeah. So that, those guys were so inspiring. Um, and so there was kind of a, a quite a few who kind of came up in my time. Um, who were players turned makers. And so someone like Michael Colley, who is Asiel, and um, oh, yeah. you know, even Ralph of Ayasa, we were all kind of around the same time, which I think is kind of that second wave of, yeah. of, yeah. of makers who were kind of the players turned makers. Yeah. And it's a unique position to be in because, I mean, essentially, I, I make every instrument for me and <laughs> I just have to sell them to be in business. But that's my intention is I'm making things that I like and I like and i'm I'm putting things in there that are high functional um and give the players a lot of opportunity so it is a unique place that to have someone who's a maker who also can play at a high level um yeah yeah and i think a lot of that was the player turned maker um kind of that second that but still you you were obsessive (laughs) i like to say passionate dave (laughs) passionate yeah i don't because No, no, but guys, I'm translating uh, in French. It's better when you say obsessed. It's not bad. It's like <laughs> yeah. No, I think I, I think it's I think it's very fair to say that I was obsessed at that time. Yeah, um, and then passion, passion is just maybe the more controlled version of obsession. <laughs> um, 
No, but you know, I think about it like I I just feel like I'm so fortunate how fortunate I am to find something that just completely enraptured me and still does. Yeah. People yeah. go through their entire life and never find that thing for them. And I found mm-hmm. it when I was 22. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think I'm so fortunate that yeah. uh, I've found this thing that really, you know, uh, gets me, gets me going. Yeah. And then you also had kind of that full, it's one of my, one of my favorite videos that you like were so proud to share with the world is when Kyle's uh, Kyle Cox from Pantheon played your first one oh, yeah. and was like visibly like, blown away by it so like for you i'm sure it was kind of like you got to meet and befriend your idol and then he was a fan of your work maybe not idol it's not the best term but right up there i I put him him on a pedestal um no there's you know that's a really interesting arc my arc with uh pantheon steel and kyle cox there's a bunch of of really cool kind of intertwining that's happened over the last you know decade um yeah, I mean, I first physically met Kyle in England at Hangout UK 2010. That we both went over for that, and um, that was the first time I witnessed someone tuning. And he was he was fine tuning instruments. And in fact, he fine tuned from sun up to sundown for like four days straight. The poor guy. There was <laughs> just such a need at the time, and yeah. and he's so kind and loves the community so much that he he didn't have a festival. He sat in a in a an RV and t- tuned mm-hmm. days. But I remember watching him tune, and my ear from my previous musical training is pretty good. And it's like I could hear what he was doing. I could hear him moving things around and making adjustments. But I had no idea what's how he was doing that yeah yeah and that was it was like watching a black magic happen right in front of your eyes and these things would go into the tent and a half hour they'd come back out and they would be it was miraculous and so i think that was an early seed that was planted watching him Mm. fine-tune it hang out um yeah and uh that moment it is on video you can watch it um i remember so this was it was my second instrument my second hand-played instrument that i had made and I kind of was shopping it around at festivals to show people, hey, this is where I'm at. And also at those festivals, I I was like taking the torch from Kyle and I was the guy stuck in a basement tuning the whole weekend. But um, mm-hmm. I, knew, I figured this moment was going to happen. I figured Kyle was going to um, play that instrument. And I, I completely missed it. I had gone to bed because I was exhausted and I had another day of tuning the next day, which is a, a really high rigor day. It's like finals in college kind of day. You're so your brain is so mushy by the end of it. So I was like, I know I got a big day tomorrow. I'm just gonna go to bed. And so fortunately, someone captured this moment. And Kyle did exactly what I would do to an instrument. The first thing he does is he kind of goes over it with a fine tooth comb, kind of checks it out, sees what's there, kind of tests it, plays it a little hard, you know. And then he kind of sits back and then he just experiences it and plays it for what it is. <clears throat> and it's a five or six minute video. And at this point, like a crowd has formed and um, he kind of, he, he finished playing it and it kind of goes quiet. <clears throat> and then he looks up at the camera and he just goes, I quit. Um, <laughs> and you're like, Dad, what a, I don't think I've processed that compliment. You know, yeah. what an amazing compliment to the, he's just like, mm-hmm. I no longer need to do this. Someone yeah. else has, has yeah. that was your <laughs> second instrument. The second one. Yeah. Do you still have this instrument? This, the second one still lives around here. I see it on occasion. Uh, the first one I still have, which is a right, right there with the same quality. Um, oh, you kept these uh, these instruments? Excellent. Yeah, you know, it's, nah, I, yeah, yeah those sure. are special ones. I mean, you can't sell yeah, those. Special ones. Yeah, yeah. It's right over there. I can see it. Um, <laughs> and so th- there was that was an amazing moment. 
Mm. And I, I woke up the next morning anticipating that Kyle's going to play it. And then I heard it already happened and someone showed me the video. And then there was something that happened that the next morning that I, it didn't even register until two years later. And I don't think I've ever actually talked to Kyle about this, but this is going to be a story worth telling. So if you go back kind of into Kyle's history, he was in the world of steel pants for a long time. And this uh, Jim Dusen, the late Jim Dusen, he told me this story that uh, Kyle as Pantheon Steel, they were at a um, not a music festival, but a, a thing where the whole industry comes together and they meet and show and tell and a um, trade show or something. That's the word. Yeah. Thank you. Right. They were at a trade show and um, kind of the godfather of steel pans. Ellie Minette was there <clears throat> and he walked up to Kyle's booth and kind of asked Kyle, you know, would you mind if I uh, play? And Kyle had a pair of double seconds out. So Ellie does exactly what Kyle did to me kind of goes through them, checks them all out, and then just plays them and experiences them. It goes on, I think, for maybe 10 minutes or so. And uh, Ellie, he puts the mallets down, and he, he kind of turns to Kyle and walks over to him and just gives him a hug. Doesn't say anything, gives him a hug, embraces him, and then just moves on. And it was the most striking moment for Kyle at that point yeah. in his career. Jim was like, it just meant so much to him. Yeah. that It was just like full approval of like, mm-hmm. You, you're, you're doing it well done carry on and so i had heard that story and so the next morning after this incident where kyle had played my instrument and had that reaction he came he came up and he's like hey bro i, I played your instrument and i was like oh wow like yeah I, I heard and then he he comes up and he gives me a hug and he's not a real touchy-feely guy so i was yeah. like oh like <laughs> kyle. and it was like it was two years later that i went like oh my gosh he gave me yeah dog right yeah yeah yeah. you know and i was like oh you idiot like it was the highest (laughs) that you didn't realize it but i think that the slow burn of that of it finally clicking that like that you know it it, what a what a compliment so um you know on the back end of that though to receive that kind of feedback on your second instrument it's kind of like well now what i thought that was going to take years to achieve well yeah Mm. i mean you look at even artists it's like you listen to their first and second albums you're like "Eh, this isn't very good so for you to have your second ever like you know album you know your second ever project and have like Uh, your literal hero (laughs) say like we shouldn't even compare it as um, albums but as track yeah Yeah. like your second track you know yeah yeah Yeah, for real yeah so it felt a little bit like um you know, your guru is like, congratulations, you're enlightened. And you're like, now what? I die. Start floating. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was, a, that was a real high moment in my early career, you know? Yeah. Um, oh, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, man. And we're, I know we're going to, you have a bunch of stuff that we're like, it's present day. There's a lot of stuff with you going yeah. on. But the last yeah, thing. It's like, fun to reminisce. Yeah, dude. And so the last kind of reminiscing thing for right now, anyway, uh, you introduced hydroforming and essentially gave it to everybody. Yeah. Like, what was uh, that? You, was you that started discovery? everything by hands, right? On the yeah. hammers, thinking, so, so, the shell. So, yeah, I started with, you know, I, I kind of joke, but I started in uh, a shop with no electricity and no doors. And I had a barrel and three hammers, and I just got there busy. You go, real cave. Um, you know, and for to, to yeah to back up for the first six months, I didn't tell anybody what I was doing. You know, like my yeah. wife knew, and like one yeah. or two other people knew. I was completely radio yeah. silent, and I had some goals that I wanted to try to achieve. And I I knew at the end of the six months I was going to see Kyle Cox, um, 
at one of the festivals. And this is, this is like a year before he played my first hand played instrument. And, uh, I, w- I was just about time for the festival and I finally got to a point where I was like, I think I have a, a question that's going to be worth cashing in on, you know, contacting Kyle. And um, it was about shoulder tones and shoulder tones are kind of the, some of the harder things to deal with in t- terms of tuning. And I was starting to see them and have awareness and dabble with them. And, but I had a, a specific question about it. So I, I kind of called him and was like, so <laughs> I picked up the hammer Um and I didn't want to cash in and be like, so how do you tune? How do you move an octave around? I wanted to wait until I had, you know, a, a real uh, juicy. Like a, like a deep question. Deep yeah. question. And so, <laughs> so I asked him and he gave me a very eloquent answer. Uh, and it was super helpful. And at the end of the call, he kind of was like, hey, you know, uh, if if this is the type of question you're asking after six months, like you might be born to do this work um to kind of take that feather and the cap on that one but it was so it was so so encouraging because you know i was out in the dark back then there was there was no one to really talk to there was no resources on the internet i was just in a room experimenting and trying to learn and build this thing um so you you were not in touch with all these other guys no some of no, the I mean, I there, were, there were that many uh late, you know later on i kind of exposed on handpan.org what i'd been up to but it, it was a real slow burn so Pan-pan. yeah like in 20 in 20 the end of 2013 i went and visited uh michael collie uh in france at the ocl headquarters and we were kind of at the same pace and level at that point and then i also visited um Izan, uh at the end of 2013. do you remember part- his youtube avatar his youtube name who? Michael Colley, YouTube name. Oh, yeah, Intonation. Yeah. Intonation. If yeah, someone is listening to this podcast and know Intonation, you are an old guy. Yeah. 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 Intonation. <laughs> um, yeah, but that was, you know, by the time I visited those guys, I was already tuning at a higher level and um, it was more to kind of go for camaraderie. And yeah, Ethan was really supportive and gave me some great advice. And then, yeah, I was kind of off and running. So, wow. Yeah. So, sorry. To come back to hydroforming. Um, yeah, so I started everything, I started with everything by hand and then moved to what was the common technique then, which was air hammers and pneumatic hammers, you know, think small jackhammers. Um, and if you're, you know, if with a big mallet, yeah, two hours to make a shell, if you're good with a air hammer, an hour again, if you're good, um, and it's a brutal hour. And for those who don't know, I'm six foot five. I'm the right yeah. man to wielding hammers this big, and it breaks <laughs> your body. It's not sustainable. Yeah. No. And so I've been kind of, you know, wondering about other techniques, and I was kind of stumbled across this idea of using water pressure to bend metal, which is hydroforming. Um, we specifically do kind of a subcategory that's called fluid forming, um, which is the the fluid is right on the part. Hydroforming traditionally uses bladders under pressure, but we don't do that. Yeah, so I spent kind of a, the year of 2015 developing a machine that could take a flat sheet of steel and make kind of our initial blank shell. Um, mm. It was not without great trials and tribulations, but I'll ne- I will never forget the first day that that machine ran. Um because I've been spending weeks like trying to keep the pressure and that was the issue I was facing and uh, I kept losing pressure and the plates are an inch and a half thick and um, I hadn't even bent the metal enough to clear the plates which means I hadn't even moved the metal much yeah 
And then there's one day I had this idea to try and I, it was kind of my last ditch effort for that week. And I turned the machine on. Mind you, I'm like standing across my shop. I have a blast shield on. I'm hiding behind a barrier because it's I mean, the pressure is is big pressure. And at that point, we didn't quite know how much pressure is going to be. So it was scary territory. And I remember I turned it on and it was one of those moments where like everything slows down, heartbeat in the ears you know, no sense of time. And I see the shell clear the plate. And I was like, already, this is the best we've done. And I, it was forming up and I had like a crossbar at the approximate height being like, if this metal can stretch and hit that crossbar, I shut it off and we've done it. And it just keeps marching along, marching along. And it's like creaking, you know, making the noises that make you a little nervous. And, um, yeah, it formed and it hit the crossbar and I shut it off. I ran over and I released pressure and it was immediate of like, oh, this is a this is a golden goose I have here. Yeah. Mm. And it's a what what a wonderful place to be. But then you're like, what do we what do we do with yeah. said golden goose? You know, yeah, um, yeah. to have a machine that doesn't cost that much money to make that is yeah. hyper consistent that you can do in house at that point in our industry it didn't exist. Um, except for maybe Pantheon's rolling machine, but that is such an advanced robot. It's yeah. <laughs> and, and it, it's like massive too, right? It's like this huge thing. It's a big thing. Yeah. It's very complicated. And so, you know, I think one of my my gifts is that I'm not a formal engineer, so I don't have the ability to over engineer things. <laughs> um, my ability is to engineer it as little as possible to get it to work. So I'm always looking for kind of simplistic solutions. Now, simple doesn't mean bad. It just means, you know, not complex. Yeah. Um, and so this is, uh, the machine itself is really not that complex. You just capture water and kind of like physics takes care of the rest of it. Um, and and looking back now, there was a year of conversations of trying to figure out what to do with this machine. Do I patent it? Do I not patent it? Do I keep it top secret? Do I keep it in a room that nobody ever gets to see? Um, and the final decision was that, no, I'm going to give it away. Um, and the reason being is it's a, it's a great canvas. It mm. creates a wonderful canvas and there's other mm. ways to create canvases that make wonderful yeah. things, mm. but this is just one way to do it. And you can do it in-house and you're not going to murder your body trying to make these shells, but it's just that it's a canvas. It's a blank canvas. You still mm. have to be a good painter. Mm -hmm. And you still have to earn yeah, those yeah. stripes the hard way. Yeah, Just don't yeah. kill yourself making your shell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So kind of once I got to that point, it was like, oh, well, then we should give it away. We should open source it. But then that becomes a whole nother problem. Like, how do you open source something like that? That's that's going to be highly dangerous. That's has some technicalities that you have to be really careful about. So then it was a, a lot of planning kind of leading up to that. Yeah. So in, in 2016, uh, uh, I hang out USA, right? Yeah. Hang out USA. And um I remember, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not without an ego. Uh, and I remember telling the the director of the festival, I was like, look, I'm going to give this thing away and I'm going to ask for nothing in return. But I wouldn't mind maybe like a round of applause. <laughs> 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 um, no, and, and really what had happened is I had spent a year top secret making and developing the machine and then developing an instrument from it. And I had a lot I wanted to talk about. It was a really tough, scary, arduous journey. And I wanted to share that. And I also wanted to share that I was going to give it away. Um, so I, I did maybe a 40 minute talk with slides and stuff. And that was my way to kind of process what I'd gone through and to explain the reasonings of, of why I was going to give it away. Um, yeah, so it was, it was really fun and cathartic. And uh, 
Yeah, any was... accidents with the water? Um, we haven't had any. I like. I can still count to ten. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> uh, I, I know these guys. It's not no, me. it's all right. <laughs> um, I can still count to ten. Yeah. So th there have been things. Uh, the plates are really thick and heavy. Someone broke a foot with one. Um, some guys up in Canada didn't purge the air out, which is like the number one thing to do. If you don't get the air out of the system, you're just gonna make a bomb. And they did. Thankfully, they caught on film. <laughs> uh, no, and so, you know, it's we're now, for me, it's eight years later. For the rest of the world, it's seven years later since I open sourced it. And it's astonishing. Like, it's still it's still going. Um, so I've, I have a map in my, my workshop where I've just dropped pins in when I hear about machines. I'm like, I just put a pin in like two months ago. Oh, where the machines are, yeah. And there's, it's still happening. And, um, you know, people are using it for making... Uh, hand pans but people are using it for other reasons too like i worked with a high school student that wanted to make captain america shields using my machine and i said heck yes let's do that um so it's yeah it's been a really amazing thing you know it's it's really humbling to see your idea wrap the world you know for years and years and years uh no and to think that 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 then enabled other people to use those shells to make high quality instruments and the fact that it kind of nudged the industry is, is you know, it's it's astonishing, and it's yeah, uh, it's, yeah, it's, a not, it's not a small feat, man, by any means. Yeah. yeah, so it's it's been amazing to kind of watch the progression of that over the years. Yeah, yeah. and then kind of like in direct contrast to that, you know, the fact that you just kind of gave it to the world and you know have at it, you find yourself now current day as like one of the leaders of the charge against, or not even against, but with hcu <laughs> defending this instrument against the the pan art stuff so yeah uh, you know what what is that first of all how did you even when when you heard all this news what was your decision to be like get me involved as much as i can like what was your process into like the hcu and kind of getting everybody together for that yeah that's a good question um i mean yeah again the elevator pitch of hcu is that there's a legal battle across the EU right now, where the company who originally developed the instrument, PanArt, is trying to use a copyright to kind of limit the ability to make, distribute, play, perform, kind of do anything with those instruments uh, across Europe. Um, copyright law is such that it, the copyright's still good for 70 years after the death of the holder. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of round up and be like, it could be a century where handpans are illegal in the EU. Um, and you kind of like if you like think about it like imagine if in the first 20 years of the violin it was just made illegal in europe yeah like that's it's an astonishing thing to think of yeah um yeah. so that's kind of what we're up against um i think i i was <laughs> i think i was actually like the last to know when things got started <laughs> um <laughs> also like i'm i'm over here on the west coast of the united states i'm not in europe i'm not a european maker yeah um it really just might be time zone issues as we're dealing with here um <laughs> No, it, it started, um, there was like a Facebook messenger group and there was like a hundred people in it. And I got thrown into that group. And then from that group, there was like another group that was made a separate conversation. And then there was maybe like 40 people in that. And I got like lumped into that group. And then there was a third group that was made that was like 12 people. And I was also in that group. And I woke up to all of this one morning <laughs> and I was you like, what are all those messages? Like, what are we talking about? And then there was this final group and I just had a seat at the table and uh, I'm going to, I'm going to just throw in a Lord of the Rings reference here, but it felt like that meeting, the, the meeting of Elrond where you kind of look around and you're like, oh man, 
like everybody's here like everybody everyone who has a seat at the table deserves a seat at this table and for some reason they think that i deserve a seat at this table <laughs> um and so i kind of like sat down with a little bit of imposter syndrome being like what do we do what yeah. are we doing what year was this that all this started um this was uh september of 2020. okay uh, yeah and it kind of started actually more like in july on the legal front and it took <clears> a little while to kind of uh yeah. trickle down to the rest of us and so um at that point there was this court date that was going to happen in germany and we we essentially kind of had six weeks to try to put up any kind of defense for this initial thing and we really just kind of said like do we want to try to do something yes or no and if the answer is yes we need to put everything aside yeah and take this thing and run with it and and one thing we don't really talk about in hcu is that we're all competitors we're industry competitors. Yeah, I true. lose sales yeah. to them, they lose sales to yeah. me. And that was another thing being like, we also have to put that aside. Yeah. Gotta mm. squash anything. Egos at the door, gentlemen. Yeah. We've got six weeks to do this. And what was astonishing is that we pulled we pulled it off. Um, I mean, it was just like rapid fire. Um, and everyone pulled their weight and we got kind of up and running. We established a name, established a website, established ourselves as an international nonprofit because we we're going to have to move money around. We launched a, a, a GoFundMe that was a success. It gave us enough money to hire a giant intellectual property law 250, firm. right? It was, it was like 170, I think, at that point. Ah, I have 250 in mind, yeah. Um, that might be, yeah. I, I wish it, we wish it was 250, I'll tell you that. Um, and so we kind of were able to get up to speed quick enough to meet in the legal battle kind of head on and then it has just continued on for you know two yeah. kind of two and a half years now um so it is, it is to be very stark and clear it is far from over um we're kind of just in an interim waiting for the next court date um regardless of the outcome of the next court date whether hc wins or loses whoever doesn't get the decision they want you can appeal that decision and it goes to the supreme court of switzerland Gentlemen, we're going all the way to the top here. Wow! Um, Dust off uh, the if, old suit, there, Colin. You're going. <laughs> if our if our listeners want to know more about all this, uh, can they subscribe to any newsletter of HCU? Yeah. Or? So the website's an easy one. It's HCU, just the letters HCU dot global. Um, yeah. We'll put the link. Uh, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll do all that uh, stuff. Please donate. Um, so there's yeah. definitely some things that you know we haven't talked about for strategic reasons, but this lawsuit on the HCU front now we're over five hundred thousand euros into it. Yeah. Um, so honestly, donating money really helps the handpan to stay alive. Yeah, it's absolutely. really serious. We're talking about the possibility yeah. of Panart to tear down. Is yeah. it correct in English? Tear down some businesses and uh, yeah. So it's a big thing. Yeah, that was yesterday when we were kind of. Colin, you and I were talking just, you know, getting ready for this and, and sitting down. I was, even as somebody who's like casually followed, like pretty, I would say I was pretty up to date. I thought anyway, with like everything going on, I was like, oh, it's quiet now. Like that must be a good thing. And you were like, mm. I don't think I've seen your head shake faster. Like, yeah. you're like, no, oh, it's no. far. But we're... so like, what, what has actually been, you know, there's like, a, you know, this release and this meeting and court date like mm. what's actually been resolved and actually been yeah. established in all of this oh uh nothing has been resolved <laughs> like <laughs> not a thing so, <laughs> for the record um there was a, a like the the police raided ios's headquarters and seized yeah. seized yeah. 70 instruments 70 instruments and 400 shells this was oh in april God. of 2021 
those are still on lockdown. They're, they haven't been freed up yeah. yet. Those things Can you imagine? You see the yeah. cops at your door and they, like in the movies. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like, it's still very real. So what we're heading into is the first kind of actual legal date, court date, where something could happen and start the point of, of uh, you know, resolution or potential resolution. So what is happening in the court date, which still has yet to be set, is the part one of the legal case, which is to examine can Panar use a copyright in this way? Can they even legally use it in the way that they're claiming? Mm -hmm. um, if the answer is no, then HCU gets the decision that we want. We imagine that they'll appeal up to the Supreme Court. If the answer is yes, then it goes to a part two, which again, we would probably appeal, but it would go to a part two. They're like, okay, sure, maybe you can use a copyright in this way, but are any of these people even infringing Mm -hmm. on your copyright in this way so it's structured in a way that's beneficial to us that even if we don't get part one if we get part two then we kind of get what we're looking for um but the reality is is like that's probably still a year or two away if not even a little more um, what does it mean though for like for us builders and builders in like asia or australia like what is it what does it mean for people who are not in europe yeah that's a great question um it means that i couldn't sell or ship or import anything into the eu and even oh, one wow. of my customers if they took one of their instruments and cross borders it could be confiscated and destroyed um so yeah i, I mean it does it, it does impact me on a business level yeah um no there's so for those who don't know there is a documentary that's being filmed about this we're oh uh, you know year and a half maybe close to two years into filming um and that was the first question the documentarian asked me is this even your fight and and I was like, I uh, knew you were going to ask that question. It's a good question. Why do you mm -hmm. care? You're in you're in America. Like it doesn't impact yeah. you. And she's absolutely right. From a business perspective, it would be great if the EU went under. It's my biggest competitor. It'd be great. Yeah. For <laughs> but as we talked True. about, that's True. not why I do this, right? No, I'm... Thanks a lot. Thanks to you and and also <laughs> the, that group of twelve people. I know there the, there was some um, European, but thank you. Yeah. Uh, guys. yeah. No, it's right. I do it because it's, you know, I'm passionate about the art form. Um, yeah. And, I, you know, I do it for the person in Europe who hasn't found this instrument yet and is going to need to. I want to protect that. Mm -hmm. That's the baseline. Yeah, man. Excellent. And like this one, uh, I mean, we can we can cut this if it's going to get you in any legal trouble. But like, what do you think personally is going to be the outcome of all this? Like the, you know, like... <sighs> with everything that yeah. you've been privy to with courts and meetings and their attitude and blah, 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 blah. Like, what do you think is going to happen? Well, I think like a really annoying thing that has happened is when I tell people who do anything in the legal realm about this case, they go like, oh, wow, that's actually a pretty interesting approach using a copyright in that way. <laughs> and I just want to be like, you're wrong. But it is, <laughs> it is creative. it's a very creative and interesting approach to try to apply copyright. Um, and what this really means is like, this is like the bleeding edge of copyright law in the EU. Um, and our, our legal team is so, they're so engrossed with this because it's so interesting to them. Um, so it's a little bit like, hey, we're kind of out in the unknown here. Um, you know, I think what I've been coming to terms with, I really want it to be black and white. Mm -hmm. I really want it to be 100% yeah. win. Yeah. You know, yeah. the reality is, is it could be a little bit more of a gray decision. Like, hey, of the four, of the five things that they're trying to get, they are going to get two of them and you guys have to deal with it. It could be as simple as that. Um, I, I hope for a clean sweep for HCU. Um, the reality is with legal stuff, it's usually not that clean. Sure. Um, but I, I think the reason I'm sleeping better these days is I can absolutely tell you there is not one more thing that we could have done as HCU. Yeah. No, 
no stone left unturned, no specialist not contacted. You know, the legal team that we work with is one of the biggest legal law firms that deal with intellectual property in the world, you know, um, and we're we're still footing that bill, but uh, there, I don't think there's a darn thing that we could have done more. So if the mm. outcome is not in our favor, yeah, we did, we did everything we could. Yeah. So. yeah. so what was this whole thing like for you, man? I mean, you talked to I me mean, anybody listening or seeing anything that you've done in the past like decade, like, you know, Felix and Sabina, who are people who might not know are like the people who run that's pan art is Felix and Sabina. Like, you know, to somebody who they hand pan changed your life, it changed the life of your friends. It's, you know, it's everything. Like, what was it like? What's it like for you to know that those two people are like kind of doing this? Like, was that, what was that? Yeah. You know, what does that do for uh, you? It's complicated. Uh, I've never met them. I've never spoken with them, you know, so um, there's a little bit of that. I've been like, oh, they're kind of, you know, in that sense, they're kind of unknown entities to me personally. Uh, No, it's, it's, you know, there's a a thing going on right now where a lot of people who have the ability to tune and retune instruments won't touch a pan art hung right now uh, because of their feelings towards pan art. And that's complicated for me because I'm, I'm, I'm mad at Felix and Sabina right now. I'm not mad at them when they made that instrument. Yeah. Um, and the only person that's really getting punished out of all of that is the person who just wants to play it and have it be in tune. Um, so, you know, that's kind of where I'm at with it. They're co- complicated feelings and it's hard to understand what their motivations are and why they're pursuing this case. Um, and I just have made a choice to not try to get into that headspace and understand why they're doing it. I- I'm very clear on my convictions and why I've chosen to be involved. And that's kind of where I've just kept it. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm not mad at the hung. I'm I'm really not even mad at Panart when they were in production, of course. But I'm I'm frustrated with them currently, and and it struggle with it because we really still don't have a really clear idea of what their motivations are and what and what they hope to achieve by pursuing this. And it's you know it, yeah, it leaves you with mixed feelings. So yeah, yeah exactly. And it's hard to position ourselves. Uh in front of them because they are still uh, our heroes like they made that instrument but now it's weird i have some friends they sold their hang hung hung yeah yeah they sold it Uh, like i I don't want to touch this anymore i'm done and there are so many other great instruments uh, well no i like i had this bigger thought about that that kind of led me to the point where i'm like oh i'm not mad at the hung i'm just frustrated with those two individuals right now i was i was thinking about this concept of of like when I tune an instrument, especially right here behind me, when I'm rough tuning it, I'm physically hitting it with a hammer. I am using my force, my kinetic energy to tune this thing. And what what happens is there's, there's this interesting transference of energy. And I'm talking like physics, not, you know, mystical energy. <laughs> no, uh, yeah. what, what happens is, is we talk about that the so only certain materials work for tuning. Uh, um, and the reason being is because they have to be able to handle compression we push the metal down and we need it to stay pushed down, stay compressed. And what that is, is imagine that you have a weight on a spring and it makes the spring compress under compression. And so now there's a bunch of potential energy in that spring, right? If you remove the weight, it does does the spring thing. Well, uh, a handpan note in my view now is, is the same thing. It is storing all this potential energy, but that potential energy came from my kinetic energy, me actually hammering it. Um, and so if we kind of go into the mystic energy, now my energy from that day, from when I was tuning it is stored in that instrument forever, you know, it's, it's in there. Um, 
And then you, the players of these, when you play, you transfer kinetic energy into the instrument and you interact with my potential energy from that day. Ooh. Right? And that is what creates the sound. It is actually the, the interaction of the player's kinetic energy and the tuner's stored potential energy in the note. And that, that's what this whole thing is about. Excellent. So I would actually might disagree with your friend, David, who sold their hung, being like, oh, yeah. were you really mad at them when they made that? Because that was them in 2007 or 2005. That like, that's was their this. energy back then. That was and their back then, they were okay. <laughs> Precisely. Honestly, so yeah. When I kind of yeah. worked through the logic in that way, I was like, oh, I'm I'm not mad at the hung. I'm not even mad at when them when they made that. I'm currently frustrated with the choices that they're making right now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still going to tune because I, I'm not looking to punish the person that is playing this. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know what? I used to know them. I was over there many times doing their open door days. I slept at their house, at dinner and stuff with them. And I, I, and we don't know what's going on. I spoke recently with Manu Delago. Uh, we did that. Um, he is going to release his masterclass, or maybe his masterclass is already released. If you're listening to that episode <laughs> in 2000 and uh, whatever, we'll see. And um, but he told me the same. I don't know what to think. And uh, everyone who got a real contact with these guys, and they we don't know what's going on. And it's really yeah. hard to find their motive, their motivation. Absolutely, no. I've... It cannot be only financial. It cannot be only ego. It can, it's weird. Yeah. What a mystery. Crazy. And then, man, I was like, I was trying to write HCU centered notes and, and questions. And I was like, I don't know if he's allowed to even say some stuff. So yeah. before, I move, before I move on from this, is there anything that like maybe we didn't ask or you didn't touch on that you think is important? Oh, there's for Felix at know? the window, bro. There's Felix at the know, window gotta, right yeah, behind you. I know. Do I got to get the dog ready to go <laughs> bark at him to get him away from here. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, we were in a place in like April of 21 where we were financially dead in the water and we were going to lose by financial forfeit meaning we just can't continue to kick the stick down the road to get to the point where a decision is made. We're nearing that place again. Um, and we're so we're so close right now to getting to that first court date where we could clean sweep it. So right so now, if they, win, if they ever win, it's over for us in the EU. And then it's all right for you guys or everyone will have to move to Thailand or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, essentially, they would have kind of copyright, copyright control over the EU, which could mean, you know, depending on how far they want to take it, it could mean that you wouldn't be allowed to perform or workshop or teach. Master the handpan. Sorry, it's very selfish, but yeah, it's very, Aww. it's not very selfish, very serious. You know, New no, Jersey, no, man, New Jersey, it's a beautiful place. Yeah, California's great this time of year. Um, <laughs> so I'm just going to pump up funding. Like we're so close. We've done so well. We've had so many people support us in so many different ways. And right now that the support that we need is financial. We just need to get to this yeah. court date and anything that anybody can do, hcu.global, the, the crowdfunding is still live. So if you donate there, that's what we need. Um, yeah, we'll please. put all these links, right? Yeah, yeah, we got them in then. the description and stuff. Yep. This is the Great. first episode. We don't really know what we can do, but I think we can insert some links. <laughs> you know what? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be with no border, no nothing. It's just going to be Times New Roman font oh in the no. middle of the screen <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah man i mean uh that's thanks for you know the up i know you've been doing uh the updates on you know hcu yeah. and you've kind of been you know I, I know a lot of people have been talking about it but i feel like you've been you know very uh 
on camera kind of talking head for a lot of people about this. So what's the yeah. what's the documentary? Is it covering? It's covering all of this, I'm guessing. Yeah. So no the shortage of content. We were approached in kind of early 2021 by a documentary filmmaker from New Zealand. Um, she had just kind of recently got her first hand pan, and then as part of it, kind of caught the story and she immediately saw that there was so much depth to the story um you know it's right out of the gates it's about this fascinating musical instrument that almost everybody has not heard of you know it's still relatively unknown to the world um it's a very young instrument that is established so that's really unique that doesn't happen that often yeah um yeah and then there's this legal battle that in the legal world it's a fascinating legal battle the, the trying to use copyright in this new way, um, really, really interesting, complicated version of the law. It's also in, you know, three different countries in multiple different languages. So it's not, we, we have our legal team, but they're in Germany, which there's stuff in Germany. But then also we have a Swiss legal team who's dealing with the stuff in Switzerland. And then we also have a legal team in the Netherlands. And so you're dealing with like, and how each one of those countries deals with copyright law is different. Different, yeah. So there's that. And then you have a community of people who are supporting this legal thing. And then you have a group of industry competitors who have decided to put everything aside and work together for the greater good. And then kind of on top of all that, you have this company who is making these decisions and we don't understand their motivations. And you're watching them completely tarnish and ruin their legacy um which is a dumpster fire in its own right yeah um so when you put all that together you're like wow this that, that story actually has some legs it's there's a lot of depth there yeah it sounded like you yeah. just read off the uh the netflix trailer right this yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, I don't think i don't know if we're gonna be the next tiger king there's not enough meth and tigers yeah. but uh-huh. you know, it, it is a fascinating story and now we're years into this thing and there's been these highs and lows really hard parts, you know, mysteries solved, um, things achieved. Uh, and she's been along for the ride. Um, so we do, you know, sometimes monthly or bi-monthly updates. Um, she also spent the fall of 21, I think, in the EU. She went to different festivals. She's interviewed people, you know, in, uh, different industry leaders, other HCU members, um she's at pan oz in australia today right now yep um and i know oh, she's it's happening she's, right now happening right now so i know oh, she's wow. uh, david kukerman who is also yeah. on the team and again just like mad shout out to david kukerman yeah I, he, he, was, he has yeah. some balls he was the Can I say name. that is it vulgar sorry my english i don't know what some balls yeah. come on for this kind of battle balls yeah, and money he, he was you know i think the the back end of 2021 he was the mvp he he kept the train on the rails in a way that was so important and impressive and he just realized like hey and this has happened throughout the hcu stuff there, there'll just be a day or a time or a month where you're in the hot seat and sure. you got to do it and and that yeah the back end of 21 that was kukerman he was kind of our boots on the ground, literally going to court dates and stuff in Germany. And, yeah. you know, but Talk. everyone has done it. You know, uh, Duncan of Meridian pulled one that was so incredible. We had to come up with uh, an expert witness statement, someone who could speak from a place that would be known and respected and, and that would speak to the arguments that we were making on our side of legal battle. Okay. And, 
Uh, so it was at that time we needed like another 150,000 euros and we also needed the expert witness statement. And I was no like, big deal. Oh. I was like, I'll work on it because that seems easier than trying yeah. to find this kind of unicorn oh, person. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he pulled it off in a way that was so incredible and it stuck the landing so hard. Yeah. So he ended up working with an emeritus professor who has a PhD in physics and specializes in musical instruments, has written books on it from a a little college called Cambridge. Ever heard of it? (laughs) So that was was our expert witness statement is we submitted this, and you can read it. It's on hcu.global. All the legal stuff is there. When we can publish it, we publish. Um, And that was such an incredible thing to pull off. So it's, you know, everybody on the team at some point has done something astonishing yeah. incredible that kept this thing going mm. uh, um so yeah and so the, the documentary is, has followed all these highs and lows and mm. um at this point i think she's going to cut it into a podcast first and so she can she's like there's so much good stuff how can i trim it down into a doc you know sure. just a documentary yeah, yeah. a docu-series or um but yeah it's been um you know i, I remember we did an interview with our lawyers and our lawyers spoke to the fact that this was such an astonishing and complicated case in his 25 years of doing intellectual property law. He's never dealt with anything this unique and complicated. And I remember that felt really, um, yeah, so like you, you're not the crazy one. Like, yeah, because I'm like, it is really, it is really complicated. It is really yeah. hard, you know? <laughs> so then I felt very, um, yeah, uh, it felt good. Yeah. yeah, that was the word. Yeah, I felt yeah. very validated in like, yeah. yeah, it is It is a crazy thing. So the fact that there's a chance that people could follow along, you know, in the story that I've lived. I remember Kyle, because right, Kyle Cox is on the team. And I remember when she came along, he's like, it does it does feel like we're living a documentary. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, my yeah. God. So right, man. It's so crazy. Yeah. So yeah, so there's, uh, you know, it's a total TBD of when it's going to happen, but yeah. it's out there. It's out we'll there. Have to have you, we'll have to have you back on to talk more like HCU only yeah. stuff. Cause I know this is something that you could do a two hour podcast on easy. Oh, easy. Um, yeah. But and you uh, need to give people some, some news, some updates about this. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, kind of going away from HCU from to a equally complicated and confusing thing. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. Sea folk. <laughs> Either Radix Zenix which is which? <laughs> um, I'll make you guys a flowchart. Uh, it'll make a ton of sense. No, I've I've thought about this, um, and it, there's a little blip on my FAQs on my website of like, why all the brands? Um, Who reads that? Nobody. Apparently. <laughs> apparently, nobody reads the FAQs. I don't know why we have it. Uh, no, for me, it's it's a pretty simple explanation. Each one was made with different techniques. Each one mm. used a shell that was significantly different than the previous. And on and this is the thing, on the player side, they probably don't really even notice the difference. But on the maker side, it's significant. Sure. Step, step one, to make a handpan, what material are you going to use? Step two, how are you going to make your shell? They're so Those decisions are so far upstream that they, and they have such a massive impact. Yeah, so see, folk... That was just, I think it was just my YouTube handle. And then it became my, my handpan.org handle. And I just was like, the, and then it was, you know, on the DVDs that I did with David Cookerman. So my name was really strong. And I was like, I'm not going to move away from that. People already know me as yeah, me. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah. I was hesitant to kind of rebrand myself when my, my name was already strong in the industry and the community. And all those shells were made by hand, hand sunk. Um, and that was kind of the C folk line. It's also just my, my name and my introduction line. 
So each each of them, each of these name is a chapter, a season of your building. You never go back you to some techniques. No, no not really. Um, mainly because each one is so much more advanced than the previous one. It's really hard to justify going back. Yeah. So then, so the ether, uh, the ether traditionally is is the fifth classical element: earth, air, fire, water, ether. Um, and I remember I'm going to drop a name here because uh, I was having a discussion with John Heaven. And if you don't know John Heaven, then you missed a wonderful era of yeah. someone who was yeah. as deep as anyone has ever gone. That guy was yeah. dug in like a tick, yeah. man, um, in a wonderful way. Uh, I was having this conversation with John in the still kind of the secret days of hydroforming. He just made this comment. He's like, I think it's so cool that you've introduced using like water into making instruments. And I was like, oh, wow. Like when you really think about it, I'm now using all four classical elements and that kind of led to like, oh, yeah, the fifth classical element is ether. It's the root word for ethereal. I mean, how often do we hear that mm. apply to <laughs> these instruments? What an ethereal sound? And it's the space between the stars, and it uses the AE combination in the beginning, the ash. It's a sick uh, logo. Like, it's a very sick logo. Yeah, I was like, that's <laughs> a great name. Yeah, and then when I went to the Radix, uh, that was I shifted to using my own deep draw shells, which is... Mm. Again, on the player side, probably didn't feel like much, but for me, it was this huge departure from this thing that yeah. you know kind of put me on the map that I was going to move away from hydroforming. Um, and then, and then the the zenith um, is a giant departure from kind of the way that anybody's doing anything. Um, it is a new technique um, to make these instruments, and it was a huge gamble on my part. Um, I kind of, again, went way, way deep down a rabbit hole, um, took some pretty big financial risks, and fortunately, it stuck the landing, and it works. It's a new technique. And it, for me, it felt like in-house, it deserved a different name. But I remember I remember the first time that Sylvan, you might know a guy named Sylvan. It's David's I think he's my cousin. It's your <laughs> cousin. I remember he, I, I, he played Ethers before, and I sent him a Radix, and he messaged me back and he's like, oh, my God, it feels just like an ether. And I was like, do you have any idea how hard it was to do that? <laughs> go all the way back up, all the steps of making Horrible. it and yeah. change step two, and then go all the way back down the steps of making and have the end outcome feel the same. <laughs> it's so hard to do. I mean, it was a high compliment. He's like, it doesn't yeah. feel any different. And I was like, that's great. That only took a year to do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah so the, 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 the different brands, you know, this is, this is a tough one because it becomes a marketing issue at some point. We're like, why all the brands? And what I think about is people people have always followed me and my story and my work. And I represent my company. And then I get to do all these different things. And so you follow my work long enough, you know that I'm going to change something in a couple of years. Yeah. It's just <laughs> yeah, yeah. inevitable. That's just the arc yeah. of my career. But uh -huh. I never wanted to put myself in a corner where I only make this one thing and that's why you know me. Yeah. You know me because I do this work and this is just the work that mm. I'm doing right now. I'm making mm. the Zenith right now. Two yeah. years ago, I was making the Radix. Five years ago, Ether. Ten years ago, Seafold. Yeah. Um, and so I really like the arc of my career is pushing this thing forward and pushing on different realms uh, yeah. of possibilities and the zenith was one i pushed on for years and you know was able to do it i remember i and I, I haven't shared this photo ever but for a bunch of reasons usually you get your shells made and however you do it and all the ways we discussed and then they go off and get heat treated if they're not stainless steel and i got i think 50 shells in the first zenith batch 
I didn't know if I was going to have to adjust my nitriding recipe. So I didn't want to put all my eggs in my basket. So I had all the shells come here, which is usually what you not do. You don't do. You don't do the triangle that way. Mm-hmm. And I realized like, oh, wow, I have them all here. I don't know if this process works yet, but I should probably take the hero photo just in case. So right out here is, is my big shop. I tiled the floor with these 50 shells, <laughs> stood in the back of my shop like I had just conquered the world, and I took the photo right, <laughs> without knowing if it was going to work. But I'm like, I've got a photo take- of nothing else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. take the photo, right? And then um, it was a couple weeks later that the first batch of shells came back, and it did work. Um, and so I, I did, I'm happy I took the hero photo, but I was like, so taking that photo, I was like, oh, I was so sweaty and anxious. I'm just being like, <laughs> oh, and you know, at that point it was, I was, I guess maybe $50,000 in on a hunt. There was a total reality oh. where like, I would just kill the project because it didn't work. And I would announce to the world, Hey everybody, I just spent the last six years working on this thing. And I'm here to tell you it did not work. Yeah. Don't bother. Don't waste yeah. your time. Uh, and other people have done that. And I, you know, things that didn't work. And I'm, I'm thankful that the current thing with the Zenith, that it, it did work. Um, no, and now we're kind of multiple iterations into the Zenith. Um, one thing that I do is that usually if I introduce something new within my process of building, I usually will kind of rein things back. And let's do a simple version of this. Make sure it works. Make sure we yeah. understand why this it is works. Why you started with a seven, seven. This is notes. why I started with the seven. It worked for the seven. Great. Let's go for the eight. So yeah, now there is a Zenith seven. There is a Zenith eight. Both of them can come in the standard nitride material. Both can come in stainless steel. And then beyond that, there is like the sub, the Zenith Expanse, which is alternative layouts, mutant notes, off-center center notes bottom notes so it's been really fun to kind of go all the way back to be like let's just do the classic seven noter and now we're a couple years in to press back all to the way up. like yeah. yeah okay now i can also do kind of things that are current yeah, uh, yeah so in-house right now that have just shown up uh, by the time this post they'll probably be out there is the stainless zenith eight uh, which has kind of been a goal for a couple of years we dabbled with some stainless last year and now we've kind of cycled back to it so we're, we're about to jump into production on that Nice, man. Excellent. If you want to keep track of your experimentation and things, you are releasing some nice newsletter. I re- received the last one. Is oh, last yeah. Week. Yeah, last yeah, week. yeah. You know, because, yeah, you, cause you, gave, uh, you did that giveaway to celebrate the 10 years, right? Yeah, it's, a, you know, it's kind of an astonishing thing to have been doing this for 10 years. Um, 10 years. You know, I've, I've crazy, man. Have been fortunate to be around tons of, artists and craftspeople along my journey and it's it's really kind of soul crushing to see how many don't make it mm-hmm. how many can yeah, they, yeah. they don't last but they can't hack the business side of things and so yeah. i have always held on to this fear that i won't get to do this for as long as i wanted and i think hitting 10 years kind of is allowing me to release some of those those trepidations and fears to be like hey you've met it made it 10 years Clearly, yeah, congrats. you're doing something right. Thank yeah. you. Um, and, you know, there's always stressors when running your own business. And my, my mindset now is when I'm, I'm worried and stressed about something, I have to take a step back and be like, do you really think this is going to be the one? Do you really think this is going to be the thing that's going to sink the ship? And <laughs> 10 years kind of says, yeah, probably not. <laughs> you know, it's probably not going to be the thing that's going to end your career. Um, yeah. But yeah, kind of it's been an interesting process and I have been sending 
sending out kind of these bigger thought emails that I'm just reflecting over a decade of work, a decade in the industry. And, um, you know, it's going back to what you had said, David, and, and you, Dan, that, you know, um, sometimes people get a lot of um, attention for the the first things that they make. And it's very true in the handpan world. There's always the cool new kid on the block. Yeah. And I had a discussion with one of these cool new kids uh, uh, maybe last year. It was Josh Rivera, who he's been around for a long time, but is now doing his own work and making his own instruments yeah. and is getting a lot of attention, as he should. Um, and I said, it's it's great. It's great to be the cool new kid. But just wait till the next cool new kid comes along and you're uh, old. Now. I was like, that's that's actually when it's going to get hard. You think it's hard right now. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> the moment, like, how do you continue to stay relevant? How do you continue to garner attention from this industry that is growing at this exponential rate? Yeah. Um, Honestly, that could be one episode. You know how to deal with these kind of things and also with competitors and yeah. everything to yeah, keep your absolutely. mind, your heart kind of clean and it's it's tough we'll have an episode it'll be the it'll be the three of us and two therapists and we'll talk about oh, you know. yeah <laughs> no it's a tough job in many in many ways yeah man and you did this 10 years we wish you uh, some 10 more absolutely 10 more and yeah. we'll see for the next 10 ones that's it man we'll be here for it but yeah. the uh the last thing that i wanted to kind of before we take a little break here the people might have uh, seen you on. You have a one of my favorite stories, uh, favorite really um, scenarios that happened to you on the, your Japanese. Trip. I know which one. So because like, I was well, there. I don't even want to preface it and screw it up. If you could just give a short story to what happened yeah. to you in Japan to everybody. I can oh, do man. this. I can do this. So uh, I had mentioned earlier that David and I had done this tour in China and. Yeah. Uh, I was there in China and I did like a trip from China and then to Burma and back to China. So I'd been kind of in Western China for two weeks. I was pretty traveled out at that point. It had been really intensive, really great, but a, a lot. And then a, a, a kind of a, maybe half of the performers that were in China also then carried on kind of two weeks later to do uh, a three-day festival in Tokyo with the Tokyo Handpan Lab. Um, and so in my mindset, I was like, okay, I'm going to go do these five days in Japan, and then I get to go home. I was kind of already in that mindset. I was missing my wife. I was missing my kids. Um, I was in a country that was very foreign to me. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to go do the thing in Tokyo, do Tokyo, which I was excited about. And I was like, and then I get to go home. Um, and the flights were such that I, it took me 24 hours to fly from Western China to Tokyo overnight. You know, I had a nine hour layover in Kunming, uh, I had to sleep on a bench in South Korea. Um, and so I land, it's morning in the Tokyo airport, the, the main one. And my instructions were I was to find Lauri Wulio. He was flying in from Finland. We were to find each other at the airport, and then we were to go to the hotel. Our plan was to get to the hotel, take a nap, and go out for dinner, and that was going to be our day. We were both going to be pretty ragged by the time I hit there. So I'm, I walk out of the terminal. I've got all my, you know, I've got my backpack. I was traveling kind of light and I'm uh, trying to get on the Wi-Fi and I get rushed by a full camera crew. I mean, I like look up, there's a boom mic over my head, <laughs> five people. And, I, and so someone rattles off something in Japanese, a language that I don't speak into a microphone they say whatever they say and then they like <laughs> i was like i was like so dear in the headlights i was like do you guys have the wi-fi password like what and uh 
have a translator. And so the translator says like, Hey, we're wondering like, why did you come to Japan? And I hadn't heard from Lowry and I was like, sure, I'll, I'll play ball. I've got some time to kill. And so I answer their questions and uh, I say, look, uh, I'm a musician and I'm here to do this performance. And I, I have a tattoo, which I show on TV of like, and they're like, well, what, can we see one of the instruments? Can we see one of the instruments? And I was like, oh, I don't, I don't have them. Because the, the problem was, is that I flew to China with two instruments, performed on them, and then sold them in China, and then traveled to, to Japan. Weeks earlier, I had sent two instruments to Japan that were then at the Tokyo Handpan Lab that I was going to do the same thing with. I'd perform on them and sell them. So at that moment in the airport, I didn't have an instrument to show them. And I think that I accidentally just like put the hooks in real deep. Yeah. That they're like, oh, now, now you got to go into Tokyo to find them? Yeah. We have to, we have to follow you. Can we follow? No, I said, I said, um, no, <laughs> no, thank you. No, happy to, no, that's not why I'm, that's not why I'm here. I'm yeah. happy to do the little meet and greet at the airport, whatever. Mm. Um, I gave them my card that I had and they gave me a flyer that had like an English blurb of what the show was. And I took it and put it in my pocket, found Lowry, got on the train and I was like, that was weird. <laughs> like, and so I tell Lowry, and he's like, yeah, that's, that's you know, good one. That's a good story. So we get to the hotel, and the guys behind the counter, their English was pretty good. They're younger guys. And I, I pull this thing out. I'm like, do you guys know what this is? And they're like, oh. They're like, that's a huge show. And I was like, no way. And they, like, pull it up on YouTube on their phones. And I was like, huh. And so then I messaged uh, Rail, who is the head of Tokyo Handpan Lab. And I was like, hey, funny thing. And he was like, bro. That's like Monday night primetime TV. That's blah, blah, a blah. show. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, uh, uh, and so I asked him, I said, look, like, I, I don't, I don't need to do this for me. I don't really care either way, but would this be good for the festival? Would this good, be good pan. for the handpan in Japan? And then I kind of thought like, would this just be good for the handpan? Yeah. And so I kind of found myself in this position where like, once again, I got to be kind of this conduit of i got to introduce an entire nation of japan to this instrument that they haven't really heard of but the, the show they they they're they practice really hands-off journalism they are literally there just to observe you move and interact with their country the it is then kind of put on where these the hosts watch the episode as it's happening they kind of take the piss they kind of make fun. Hey, it's funny you know yeah uh, watching foreigners just bumble through a country um did they translate it for you? Like, was Rail or did anybody like? Were they making fun of you or did, were they kind to you? So uh, we'll get to that at the end. But um, so I went to email them back, and they'd already emailed me, and I said like, "All right, let's do it." So for the next four days in Japan, I had a camera crew with me the entire time. But what I realized is that they literally would follow me anywhere. They all they want to do is just be like, "What are you doing? What are you doing today?" You know, and I just was like, "Okay, so I'm the director now." <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm the director. And so I was like, I'm just going to blow everybody up. I was like, first thing we're doing is we're going to the, the, the Japanese handpan makers workshop, Sonobe. We're going to his shop. We're putting him on TV. We're going to Rayo's place. We're putting him on TV. I was like, we're putting everybody on TV. Wow. Um, and uh, it was this kind of unique experience, right? I was the fish in the fishbowl. But it's just as interesting being the fish because... I got to look out and see everyone looking at me. Um, so I got to spend four days with these people that live in Tokyo. This is their job. And, you know, they kind of, I wish I would have said it. They said, you know, when they said like, can we, can we 
come with you. And I was like, you can try to keep up because like, I'm, I'm a dad gone wild in Tokyo with my friends <laughs> from all over the world. I'm burning this this candle from both yeah. ends. I've got five yeah. days. I can just burn it from both ends for five days. And so we yeah, were sleep when you got home. Yeah. We were like 9 AM to 2 AM days, you know? And so there was times where I was like, guys, just cut the cameras. We're, we're going to yeah. all need to sit down and eat if we're going to get through the next chapter of this day. Yeah. Um, and, and, I had a translator with me the whole time. You know what a what a luxury to go through a country with a translator. I can tell you, it's not easy to buy train tickets in Japan, but it is when you got a local with you. Right. Um, so I left Japan, um, having no idea what was going to happen with that. They followed up and they wanted like baby pictures, childhood <laughs> pictures. No. You know? And I was like, I was just kind of like, whatever, man. I'm just gonna I'm gonna ride this wave and see what happens. And then it went radio silent. So this is like May of 2019 and early 2020, I get an email and it's like, Hey, your episode's going to air. And I was like, Oh, I kind of, oh. Or it, that, it just felt like a fever dream. Did that really yeah. happen? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, Rayo sent me the link. He got a link to it and sent it to me. And I, he sent it to me at like three in the morning when it aired. And I like, I remember I woke my wife up and I was like, I can't watch this alone. You know, I was watching it through fingers like this. <laughs> I don't know. It could be an hour of me just making social faux pas. It could be an hour of me just eating sushi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. myself like a fat American. Right, yeah. Dumb um, American goes through Tokyo. Yeah, it could have been, been every single one of those. And so the four days of shooting got condensed to, and I love this, with commercials, it was an actual 15 minutes. And so I got my 15 minutes <laughs> fame. I Like it was literally 15 minutes and one second. And I was like, check. <laughs> um, so the episode is still there. It's still on my website. You can find it. I won't speak to it because if you want to watch it, you can watch it. Uh, what I will say is, is everything that happened is as it happened. Um, yeah. And I, I remember I kind of like finished watching the episode and I was like, that's that, that was, that was okay. That was my, my days. My and, um, yeah, it's. I will say, like the the the, the actual director, um, totally kind of broke the fourth wall as she kind of got sucked into the story. But you know, if I spent four days with this person, we got you know became friends, and um, yeah, it was it was a fascinating thing. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what else to Crazy. say. I, would, no, I was no, on excellent. national TV. That story yeah. is, is it's, it's you cannot even best. imagine yeah. that story. <laughs> I remember I I remember I came home to, to come back to be dad and husband and you know changing diapers and stuff and uh yes, I remember telling my wife I was just like honey I'm going to I'm coming down I'm going to come down so hard from this trip because yeah. in my mind right I was like oh cool I'll like do these couple days in Tokyo and then I get to go home yeah. and then I just had this like wild wild experience <laughs> and I told, I remember I told happened. her I was like you know I was like honey if you ever see me feel a little down or feeling a little blue, all you got to do is just clip a lapel mic right here. <laughs> it's going to make me so good about myself. <laughs> um, no, and it's like, you know, I'm still in touch with some of those people from Japan, from the TV uh-huh. show. Um, That's a great community over there, too, man. Like the the Tokyo yeah, and Pan world, man. Was, oh, my yeah. God. It, it, I, they were so good to us. And, and what a, you know, like, again, what a, what a position to be in. What an honor to be trusted with. Introdu- literally introducing an entire that was nation. the first time handpan on tv in japan to my knowledge yeah and not only that but that show gets is it goes to hong kong or uh yeah it goes to hong kong too so like it goes beyond the borders of japan yeah um wow. yeah so I, cool. what a 
I know. I don't know if you guys ever played that game, Two Truths and a Lie, where you say three things yeah. about yeah. yourself. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I was like, I remember I came home for that. And I was like, my two truths and a lie game just got way stronger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, definitely a unique life experience. And no, I, I think about it from the perspective of my children. What a crazy time in my life to get captured on national TV. And, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, it is it is like this little time capsule that if they ever, ever want to know what dad was doing in yeah. 2019. Um, no. Dad was on TV in Japan. Dad was on TV in <laughs> Japan. <laughs> Ah, excellent. The Handpan Show is brought to you by Master the Handpan, the world's largest online handpan educational platform. Whether you're a beginner, intermediate, or advanced player, or want to learn from one of your favorite players, Master the Handpan has everything you need to improve your skills and have fun. Feeling lost while searching for your first handpan? Master the Handpan has you covered with our one-stop marketplace, connecting you with reputable makers to find your perfect instrument. Join our thriving community of over 15,000 handpan players and share your passion with like-minded handpan enthusiasts. Master the handpan. Learn fast. Have fun. All right, man. So one more thing before we uh, we get you out of here. We, uh, we're we going to start doing a little non-handpan rapid-fire questions to, get to, yeah, to yes. get to know yeah. the, the, the man who is Seafolk, Radix, Zenith, who the mastermind behind them all. Uh, you ready? Ten questions. Do one each. You can we do one each. We just yeah, yeah, them. you have the list in front of you. Yeah, cool. Go, you All go right, first. So, and, one each. So, Colin, it's you could answer it, and then if there's like any brief story that comes to mind, feel feel free to uh, expand on it. What Wait. was the first album you've ever owned? The one that really like I listened to a lot of Beatles growing up, but the one that I remember was gifted to me for like my twelfth birthday was Californication Red Hot Chili Peppers, and that's when I was like this is music like i remember like i had a, a cd player with and i put my headphones on i i was like that one Excellent. yeah that one that, that one hooked me big time what nice. is your dream collaboration could be playing or building oh that's a good question you know there was like a um i did some a show in st petersburg in russia and i met a guy who i was aware of him that he, he had these videos and and david you might remember these he's a heart player and he did there was a couple of videos of him playing with uh one guy or two guys uh on handpans and i met him and i was like oh my god you're so amazing and he yeah. he was like to me he's like i would love to collaborate and i was like, i want to but i i was leaving the next day then it just feels like the craigslist misconnection yeah. where we like oh i think about it. Uh, and it's like he he is a cellist as well and i was a cellist and so i think we both still think in cello even though he's playing the harp and I'm playing handpans. Uh, uh, so, yeah, so that would be him, right? Yeah, that would yeah. be him. All right, who is one artist that you love that people would be shocked to find out? Tell the truth. Oh, tell the truth. Oh, oh man. Uh, oh, man, I've been listening to a little bit of Taylor Swift. Ah, you said it. <laughs> okay. We keep it. Okay. What is the story in your first, first of your first piece? story of my first kiss wow it's a deep cut um it was kind of a classic one i grew up at the beach and uh in my city there's a pier that goes way out into the water and so it was actually like actually like a pretty great first kiss there's this girl that was kind of like seeing i was maybe in middle mm. school we had like the very romantic first kiss out on the pier um no not that's not pretty good that's very california what it was your most embarrassing moment on stage 
Eesh. I'm, I'm sure I've repressed it to the point where it's going to be hard to dig that back. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> open it up, dude. Open it up. <laughs> well, most embarrassing moment on stage. Um, I don't know. You know, I was like, I was in orchestras and symphonies growing up and I was, um, can you hear my compressor just kicked on? No. no okay. Um, so sorry. Most, most embarrassing moment on stage. Fortunately, it was like, I don't really have a big one. Um, I was always, I was in orchestras and symphonies growing up and I was always, and I, right, like I, I grew up at the beach. So I was always mortified to have to put on the blacks and whites, to put mm. on the suits to yeah. perform. Yeah. It's just like, that's the, there was tides involved. And I remember maybe it wasn't on stage, but I remember I was in a symphony. I was the first chair cellist. We were going to have a big performance and we were at this kind of event center that had a big hall, but it also had like soccer fields attached to it kind of thing. And I was there in the full black and white, taking a group photo of the symphony and a bunch of my older brother's friends who were playing soccer there walk by and they see me and they lit me up. <laughs> they absolutely lit me up. And so it wasn't quite on stage, but I just remember just, and I was at, I was probably a, a teenager, you know? Yeah. And just to get lit up, by your brother's friends in front yeah, of the yeah. whole symphony you're just like oh it was the yeah. and it's not like i can like hide behind somebody yeah, I'm the yeah, exactly. yeah. so that was pretty that was pretty mortifying that's it. you're welcome now you're gonna think about that all day i'm sure yeah, i'm sorry about that i'm sweating just thinking about it. Oh, goodness all right be honest for that one what is your favorite food favorite food Ooh. um You can go I nasty. I don't know. Uh, I kind of, this is like a big thing that happens with, with me and my wife is I, she's really just kind of happy to eat food. Um, I have food moods where I'm like, you know, yeah, I liked it yesterday, but I don't really want to eat it right now. So I, I, it's, it's, one? Well, I know I made some, uh, I made paella last night, which I was pretty excited about. Um, but uh, food's a little tricky for me. I've got some dietary stuff. So, mm. uh, but no, no, you know, if my kids were here, they would answer for me. They say tacos. It's tacos. Mm, tacos. Right. There you go. Yeah, it took me a minute to get there, but no, it's like yeah. dude, the answer about it's always tacos. Again, very California answer. Yeah. My kid would be like, you know, my older kid would be like, no, dad, you had tacos for breakfast. And then you uh, had and then you had tacos for lunch. And then you made us tacos for dinner. Dad, it's tacos. <laughs> uh who is your current favorite handpan artist? Oh, you know, um to to be really frank, I like I actually really don't follow a lot of people who play anymore. I kind of just do do my own work but you know one person that i i come back to a lot or anytime i see them play i'm just like i'm such a fan there's there's like two that kind of come to mind that i think are like a little underrated we all know we all know that they're great but when you see them and, and you can really appreciate what they do uh david your cousin sylvan phenomenal phenomenal oh, yeah. he's so he's so subtle in what he does i remember yeah. there was this there was a professional surfer who always got really underscored on his mm. on his waves but it's because he was so smooth and he mm. made it look effortless and when yeah. someone is so they get to mm. that point where they're so good and mm. they make it so look mm. so effortless it's actually mm. really hard to appreciate because you don't even mm. know how good they are and what they're mm. doing and then the mm. other person who i always i see play and i'm always excited about is and i've been a fan of him for a long time is your own trip of archer mm. trip yeah subtle yeah, really yeah. and the e yeah way of touching the instrument is super super very, super, yeah. super yeah. smooth um yeah, yeah i remember 
I had come across some of his earlier videos. There's a video where he's on a TV show and it's just a three minute clip. He's sitting on a cajon and he has a foot pedal to play the cajon. That song. And it's first album, right? It's so good. And I'm like, that was a really long time ago. And he was playing yeah. at a high level yeah. and he's going to continue it on. So for yeah. me, those are, uh, I, I get inspired to try to play in the way that those guys play in that I want you to hear twice as much as you're seeing when I'm playing. Right. And I, I want you to think that it's not very hard to do what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I those are the, two good ones for that then. And I see yeah. those guys do it just so effortlessly in a way yeah. where I'm like, I don't think people really know. Like, yeah. Yeah. How good yeah. That there's, is a, that there's a lot going on yeah. there. And yeah. so simple is hard to do, and there's a lot going on. Exactly. Yeah. Uh two hobbies uh outside of music. Um, I'm I'm always kind of working on things and building things. So anytime you're in my shop, there's all of my work, and then there's usually something I'm working on. Um over the last two years, I've been dabbling with uh electronic bikes with e-bikes. Um, so I've built, built out my own electric bikes. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, then I think the next one that's coming is it's still winter here in California, but I think my goal for the summer is to get educated about solar and how solar panels work. And I yeah. want to try to only charge my electric bike with, with whatever thing I've made yeah. with solar and see if I can Excellent. get through the entire summer, um, just doing that. Um, that there's a big push thing. for solar here in California, and I don't really know much about it. So I was like, oh, maybe I'll take on a small project yeah. to wrap my head around it before I kind of look to in- invest. Um, this isn't a hot. Ho- <laughs> this this isn't a hobby, but I do actually have another job right now. Um, <laughs> I think Dan knows what it is. Dave might not. Um, I am a one day a week. I am a lifeguard at the local pool. Um, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, him. Still blowing the whistle, no running. That's him. Oh yeah, hey, walk. <laughs> a lot of that. Um, so I guess I guess swimming is a hobby. It's how I like to exercise. Um, I grew up in the ocean, and swimming is always. And I'm, I'm six. I'm built like Phelps, man. I'm six foot five, yeah, size yeah. sixteen feet. Like this yeah. is. I tell people, I'm like, I don't often feel um, graceful in this body <laughs> I do feel graceful in the water that's what yeah, this body yeah, yeah. I've, I've always been in doing water sports um and so swimming has been one and then um because of covid you may have heard of covid because of covid there was a national lifeguard shortage in the united states um with how things work you have to re-up your certification every two years to be an active lifeguard and nobody did because there were no pools were open mm-hmm. and so we came into the summer of 2022 and we we're going to be op- the pool's going to be open and they were going to be short staffed and they, they approached me and they're like you're always here at like odd hours like what do you do? How, how are you available? And so they on this thing. They're like, we have these two shifts. We cannot fill them. We'll literally, we're going to have to close the pool or the manager is going to have to work these shifts. Hmm. Wednesday, Friday, 12 to three. So I did the certification, which was hilarious in that it was me and a bunch of 15 year olds. And um, <laughs> so you can imagine again, just to emphasize, I'm a six foot five, very big guy. And I was working with these teenagers and we had to simulate rescues in the pool. So I'm down 12 feet on the bottom of the pool. And this little 15 year old mm-hmm. has to dive down there and try to drag me up. And it became just this joke um, that in any of these rescue scenarios that we were practicing, that we would do it with each other's partners and then everyone would have to rescue me. I was the final boss. <laughs> like if you, can, <laughs> if you can rescue Colin and you can get him out on the backboard. Uh, <laughs> 
yeah, he's gonna, he, yeah, you're, you're gonna be able to rescue anybody. Um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of this funny thing that I've been doing. Um, but you know, and David and Dan, I'm sure you guys can imagine that it, like work life balance, especially running your own business is a really challenging thing to get right. It is. It is. And tough. I think I can tell I you will never fix it. And in, I can tell you in 2021, I got, it, I got it wrong. I got work life stuff got way out of whack. You know, mm. the Zenith launched and it hit big. HCU stuff was really heavy. And I would say like, I, I should leave the shop today. I should get out. I should do something. And I just wouldn't because there's always a reason to not. And so uh, becoming a lifeguard kind of forced my hand in a way, in a structured way. I have to leave. I have to take this hat off. Guard your life. And, uh, you know, <laughs> one thing that the hand makers don't get is sunshine and people much. And so being at a local public yeah. pool, I get both of those. I get a, a really nice, healthy dose of socializing nice. and I'm outside and uh, it's been, yeah, it's been a, it's been a really, a really good thing for me. So, uh nice. Yeah. Sweet. Uh, <laughs> All right. Two more. Two uh, more. What is the one song that makes you happy every time you hear it? Uh, uh, there's, uh, I could go straight to the Beatles. Anything from Rubber Soul on the Beatles uh, yeah. it has such positive childhood memories for me. Um, yeah. Any, just that album, anything on that album. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Works yeah. If you nice. add, if you had a million dollars what would be the first thing you buy hey a who says i don't ah. <laughs> as we say the first one is always hard but then it gets better uh, no that's the a that's million. a good question you know um i'm gonna answer it kind of in the boring way i am so fortunate in life that i i kind of really want for nothing um one thing like come okay, on man uh, yeah. come on uh, um the tackle no, I'm I'm completely serious. I, I, I'm in this so fortunate place that I want for nothing. My family has what they need. I have what I need. We have our health. But that crazy thing, yeah. like I come to your house with a check for a million bucks. I said you need yeah. to spend this in twenty minutes. Right I now. take it back. Yeah. Uh, done. I, I pay off my mortgage. Done. <laughs> mortgage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I pay off my house. Done. Yeah. Uh, easy. You know, you guys are trying to ask me for this, like. Yeah, man. Question. You gotta, dude, I'm I'm a husband and I'm a father. TV star. Well, TV star. TV, I mean, Japanese TV star. I wear, I wear so many hats. Right. No, I'm. Yeah. I'm a, no, you're. I know what you mean. Yeah, you I'm a husband. Everything you a need. Father. Everything yeah. else is is secondary. So yeah. the fact that we have what we need, we're provided for. Um, it's a good answer. I yeah. would buy a video studio. <laughs> Listen, I mean, I like, cannot see my setup, but it's such a mess. No, you know, to, to, to speak to that, right? Like, I did it. I made the transition. I'm in a workshop on my yeah. home. I yeah. did it. This was a, a humongous goal. When I left my previous workshop, which was a, a workshop amongst 26 other studios in this big facility, I think I was the only one that ever left for greener pastures. Mm. You know, everyone else didn't make it. And so I'm like, I've, I've, I did it. Yeah, uh, you know, you're there. Um, it's a, it's a really. I was trying to explain that to my older daughter because you know they just hoppity skippity into the backyard and are in dad's shop, and I'm like, it's yeah. For me as a person, it's such a big achievement mm -hmm. um, to, to have done it. Like that's what I mean. I'm like, if you would ask me that maybe four years ago, I would have said, I, I want this workshop. Yeah, I want, I want something like Excellent. this, a place where Excellent. I can have my business, my workshop, and my family kind of all in one place. So that's uh, awesome. That's awesome, man. All right, well, it is. 
the great Colin Folk. Thank you yeah. for spending some time with us, buddy. Appreciate it. Oh, just reading his story with us. That's it. What uh, you got? This is your cameras are on you. What's the plugs? Where can everybody find you? Uh, no, I'll I'll leave with this. Um, when I when I move through my day to day, people don't really understand what I do. Uh, you know, at the average the average person checking out at the grocery store, are like, how was work today? And you're like. I couldn't even begin to explain it. I was working yeah. <laughs> with a legal team in the EU. I was working with big production and supply chain problems. And um, yeah, to a lot of people, I'm just like that drum guy. Like, oh, hey, yeah. you're that guy with the drums, yeah. right? So yeah. so for me to have people in the industry like you two, who I really respect, who really get the nitty gritty to come and engage me about all the nitty gritty, it's, it's so good for mm -hmm. me too. So um, I really appreciate it. Yeah, and if you wanna know more about me or my work, uh, zenithhandpans.com spelled with an X. If you spell with a Z, I own that domain too. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, zenithhandpans.com if you want to follow my work. And I have a blog that I'll be keeping up where you can kind of learn about mm -hmm. my history. And there's some deep cuts in the About Me section where you can read more about stuff we spoke about or yeah, watch that episode on Japan. But uh, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Thanks a lot. Thanks Perfect. for everything you're doing since the so many years for the community and for all of us. That's it. Oh, See you later, guys. man. See ya. <laughs> ciao, ciao.